0: Hello and welcome to the second of two podcasts from Tilney on the subject of estate planning. My name is Martin Holden. I'm a chartered financial planner based here in our Bracknell office uh, covering the Thames Valley area. And today I'm joined by Ian Dial, our head of estate planning, and Jocelyn Davis, one of our estate planning specialists, both of whom have over 25 years experience in this area. Before I begin, I would like to just bring your attention to some important information.
1: Nothing in this recording is intended to constitute advice or a recommendation and you should not take any investment decision based on its content. Prevailing tax rates are dependent upon individual circumstances and are subject to change. Tax advantage products, such as enterprise investment schemes are potentially higher risk, longer term and less liquid investments. They should only be considered once other planning opportunities have been fully explored. Any opinions expressed may be subject to change without notice. Remember that the value of investments can fall as well as rise and that you may not get back the amount you originally invested. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment or if you need advice on your specific requirements, you should seek professional financial advice. Ian,
0: one area that uh, can get quite complex for clients is the residential mill rate band and particularly if clients are, as I understand it, with a total value of property over £2 million or the estate is over £2 million. Can you sort of shed a bit more light on that? Yeah, so um,
2: the residence nil right band is a, is a, an additional nil right band um, that frankly was introduced um, for political reasons to some extent. So the Conservative Party had promised a million pound nil rate band. um, And uh, what eventually that turned into was um, a million pounds which was made up of 325,000 pounds standard nil rate band for husband, 325,000 for wife, and then an additional potential residence nil rate band of 175,000 pounds for husband, and £175,000 for wife. Yeah. So if you add all that up together, that comes to the million pounds. Yeah? Um, but that additional £175,000 component um, has got some rules and regulations around it. So it was introduced initially at £100,000 and it's been stepping up by £25,000 increments um, until next year when it will eventually hit the £175,000 mark. It's uh, currently at one hundred and fifty thousand pounds
0: per person.
2: Per person. Yeah. yeah. However, um, as I said, there are some rules and regulations when it comes to using it. So it can only be used um, to pass on a home of the deceased person. So it couldn't be used to pass on a holiday home. It's got to be something that they've lived in as their home. Yeah? Secondly, it can only be used if it's passed to your um, children or remoter issues, so grandchildren, great grandchildren, etc. So the definition of children is quite wide. That includes stepchildren, it includes... So quite uh, what you
0: might call a modern definition. Yeah, so, but but yeah. it's got to be someone who would be deemed to be your, your yeah. own sort of but descendants. It, yeah, it,
2: it wouldn't include, for example, my friend's got, his, uh, he's living with um, his girlfriend. She was previously married and got children from a previous relationship. Yeah, they're not his children, they're not his stepchildren. Um, so, it wouldn't include those, for example. It doesn't include nephews and nieces. So, it's, you know, it's, it's, yeah.
0: People for whom you are broadly responsible at some point Correct, in yeah. your life.
2: Yeah. Um, so, again, so it's only against your home. It's only if you pass on that home to your children or remote issue. Um, and uh, it's means tested to some extent in the sense that if your estate is worth more than £2 million at the time of your death, then for every two pounds you're over that, you lose a pound of your allowance. So if you've got an allowance of £175,000 and you're worth £2,350,000, half of that excess three hundred and fifty pounds is £175,000. That would completely erode your residence nil rate band. So you wouldn't have one to use, in other words. So in effect, what that means is that for many people, um, the residence nil rate band will not be available for use.
0: So that's certainly, for the wealthier clients, anything, roughly speaking, over £2 million and beyond, it's um, it's a bit like the personal allowance if you earn over £100,000 a year. Correct.
2: And then it gets even more, comp- there's some complicated legislation around downsizing. One of the big arguments when this came in was, well, what happens to the poor person that's forced to go into care and sell their home? They won't be able to benefit from this. So there is some fairly complex legislation around people who have either downsized later in life or sold their property um, and uh, it, it then preserves that that uh, residence nil rate band in those circumstances. Okay, so
0: in broad terms, to summarise, it's, it's good news, it's an extra allowance on top of the standard nil rate band, but it's not available to everybody and you just need to sort of check whether, if you like, whether the cap fits. Absolutely. I mean, individual circumstances. And,
2: and for some clients, it may mean that they need to look at their wills and the way their wills have been drafted and potentially make some changes there okay. as well.
0: So again, as with a lot of things, it's something you need to look into and not make too many assumptions. Well, that's the first one. The second area we'd like to touch on is the fact that, as we said in the, the first podcast, the introductory podcast, we do encourage people to um, act sooner rather than later. Uh, But, of course, life isn't always like that. Not many people jump out of bed in the morning and say, today's the day I'm going to sort out my inheritance tax issue. Uh, And so it can often be the case that people get into later life, should we say in their late 70s, early 80s, into their late 80s, or even beyond that, before they really have done very much about this. Is that too late? Or is there something they could still possibly do at that stage?
1: Well, talking around the residence nil rate band, which you've just been discussing, the whole £2 million limit... Um, that, can, that can be addressed on your deathbed because that £2 million limit is what's in your estate on the day you die. So you can give away assets. You don't have to survive the seven years. For that purpose only, if you've given away, made large gifts, you can reduce your estate right down below the £2 million
0: All right, so limit. even on your deathbed, there is still, under certain mm-hmm. circumstances, things that can be done not sure that's uh, an encouraging thought or not. But <laughs> let's uh, let's assume that's quite positive in in, in the context of uh, how much inheritance tax you might have to pay. Is there anything else though? It's just slightly so we don't leave it right to the last minute no, but sort not. of versus. Uh, well,
2: I th- I think that's worth just reinforcing, you know, that it, it's always better to plan early. Yeah. But I would say it's never too late to do something. And it, even if that it means that you're not able to save um, tax yourself, you could put you know you could at least make it easier for the administration of your estate and potentially save the next generation in tax Um, just by you know changes that you can make too well there are some other things that you can do later on in life but I think you need to be more careful so um, one of the things that many many clients are um, that come to our seminars often want to talk about is Things like AIM portfolios and business oh, this relief. This is the sort of
0: two-year rule, isn't it? Because we all, we all know generally if you give away assets during your lifetime, there's a seven-year clock that starts to tick. Yeah. But under certain circumstances, that can be reduced to two years, which clearly, if you're um, uh, uh, quite a bit older, two years is a much higher chance of survival for two years than for seven. So...
2: Yeah, so I mean, it's, the reason the two years becomes relevant is that um, all of these investments, they are types of investment, rely on what we call business relief. Yeah? And um, the, the purpose of business relief um, if you own a, um, a company or a, a partnership or you're a sole trader, um, obviously the value of that business um, forms part of your estate. Yeah. Um, now, what The government didn't want uh, to happen was on the death of um, a business owner, um, the tax bill um, would need to be paid on the value of that, um, and that would potentially mean that the beneficiaries of the estate uh, would have to sell the business in order to pay the inheritance tax. And that would be counterproductive because what the government gained in inheritance tax, they'd then lose in corporation tax. Uh, Income tax and national insurance of the beneficiaries benefits of beneficiaries are potentially made in so it just didn't make sense So there is a relief for people for business owners who own um, Small businesses which may mean that their business is partially or fully relievable for inheritance tax But in order to make sure that that's not abused one of the rules is that the business has to be owned for at least two years prior to death, Yeah. Now what businesses qualify, that includes things like um, a portfolio, so alternative investment market portfolios qualifies as, as businesses for that purpose, as well as
0: what you class So as traditional Just business. to clarify, so you don't have to actually own the whole business, because obviously no. a certain number of clients do, but in, in the majority of cases people don't own a business, so they could own some shares in a business uh, through some. E- the alternative investment market yeah and that would mean that the two-year clock applies to that investment
2: absolutely and there's other investments as well it's not just saying portfolio you know, portfolios of AIM shares EIS is potentially qualified so yes enter- what does that stand sorry for? enterprise investment schemes right. they potentially qualify for business relief um, and there are some um, uh, purpose-built investments that, that qualify for business relief as well um, so all of those, potentially, you can benefit from inheritance tax saving up to two years.
0: And one of the features about AIM portfolios is that I understand they can be held within ISAs.
2: Absolutely, and that's why they've become attractive to many people, is that ISAs, although they're um, tax efficient for income tax and capital gains tax, um, they are not exempt from inheritance tax. Um, so the attraction of, of investing your ISA in an AIM portfolio is that once you've held those, those AIM investments for two years, it then bec- the ISA then becomes efficient for inheritance tax as well. So that,
0: I'm just trying to think of a scenario. I've got some clients potentially, who, you know, wealthy clients where they've maybe built up ISA, substantial ISA portfolios over many years now because ISAs have been around obviously back since the late 1980s in various forms. They could potentially put some of that into a, a type of portfolio and that would be outside of their estate within just two years. Correct. And would they have to give that ISA to someone else? You can't give an ISA away, can you?
2: No, you can. They can keep the ISA, and it's so they available still, own as, the still own the actual. They still own the ISA, yeah. So it's it's not a, it's not a form of making a gift. It's actually just a form of investment that they've made. Um, so by
0: just changing the underlying investments in their existing ISA, yeah. they could potentially move those assets outside of their estate which could otherwise be subject to 40 percent inheritance tax correct
2: but you know, and the, I think there's always a but. <laughs> they've got to, they've got to think about the implications of that because remember the reason they're getting that tax relief are they that they are investing in small uh, small business risk investments, and, yeah. which uh, is not
0: you, normally what we would recommend and yeah, most say people as they agent. get
2: more elderly become more cautious yeah. and you know the, the AIM market is more volatile, and that's got to be a consideration if they're looking at those investments. And that's where some of the other investments, business relief portfolios, for example, may be um, um, more suitable in those circumstances because they they aren't necessarily um, as volatile as, as potentially the AIM market might be.
0: So it's a higher risk area. So yep. how do we try and minimise those risks?
2: Um, I've, I've I've been involved in estate planning since effectively 2002. I've been focused on estate planning and until I joined Tilney I didn't use AIM and Business Relief qualifying investments and that's because you know I understand estate planning but what I, you know my personal skill set I can't look at a business and say well you know, what risks is that business taking um, what we do within Tilney I've got one person within my team and that's his sole purpose in life he lives breeds you know, business relief and, and tax advantage investments um, looking at those investments and assessing them in terms of volatility um, liquidity risk you know, how close are they sailing to the wind in terms of legislation um, uh, 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 to identify which investments we are comfortable with, you know, with our clients using which ones we're not comfortable. Um, To try and reduce that level of risk and identify which clients they are suitable for and which ones they aren't.
0: Okay, so taking um, so that level of expertise is quite key, isn't it? Because there is a you know sorting the wheat from the chaff in terms of where you actually put your money is quite a key component. Yeah, not only
2: where you're where you're putting your money, but again, which clients are suitable for it as well. So, for example, on EISs, EISs are individual companies. Yeah. And because of changes in legislation recently, the risk went you know up because had to be focused on growth rather than capital preservation, um, and that that increased the risk again. So the you know the question is you know which ones are we comfortable with our clients using now? There are some um, reliefs if if things don't go to plan, um, and but those reliefs are released against you know your income tax in effect. So a client who's actually a 45% taxpayer. Um, Takes far less risk than the client who's a basic rate taxpayer if they invest in these same investments because they've got more relief if things go wrong. they putting
0: less of their own money in, in a sense. Absolutely,
2: yeah. Right. A lot of uh, the, the, the tax benefits compensate even if the investment to some extent uh, doesn't perform as expected. So it's not just the investment, it's who's it suitable for as well. Right,
0: well, and just, I mean, one of my clients, um, he actually had an 800,000 pound ISA portfolio which was uh, you know a success you know product of a very um long period of time of hard work and 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 saving but what he did was put 200,000 pound into an AIM portfolio and the other 600,000 which was previously in a balanced risk profile was reduced down to very cautious so the idea being that he wouldn't overextend the overall risk knowing that he'd added a bit of risk at the one end of the spectrum reduce the risk on the rest of the portfolio does that seem the sort of thing that you would feel comfortable with Uh,
2: certainly spreading risk like that's important that's another that's another way of handling the risk Um, the other one if we're talking about you know people who've got more than you know where the two years or seven years isn't such an issue um they could consider coming out of an isa and making gifts um Although ISAs are tax-efficient for income tax and capital gains tax, um, remember that capital gains tax will will effectively dies with you. So, for many clients where they can see that they're never going to touch this money themselves, um, you know that capital gains tax benefit isn't necessarily a, a huge benefit for them. So, one consideration is coming out of the ISAs and using that to make gifts instead, um, which is obviously a lower risk approach than than, um, than potentially. Um, I'm not, I'm not trying to say don't use um, business relief investments. I'm saying it's got to be for the right people and they've got to pick the right investments if they do that. It needs to be well researched.
0: So this whole kind of slightly more complex layer of uh, estate planning, is it, would, you, would it be fair to say this is in summary kind of more, it's more focused on the Inheritance Tax Bill once you've done all the basics as we went through in, in stage one?
2: Yeah, I think they they still need to think about all the basics that we talked about in the first part, but this is maybe an overlay for some clients who are
0: um, perhaps used to that, that have got an appetite for that higher level of risk even later on in life. Okay, I think that's been really helpful. Thank you to both of you. Um, As we often do with um, a lot of our seminars, as you know, we have questions and answers, and we've had a few questions submitted by our clients in advance of this. So if I, if you don't mind, if I could just run past a few uh, questions. So we've touched on pensions and uh, how they work, but one of the questions is that if somebody died, or their their husband in this example died, all the way back in two thousand and four, would they still have the nil rate band?
1: They would still have the nil rate band. Um, everyone has their own nil rate band. Um, you have a also can inherit your husband or civil partners nil-rate band um, and now you can also since 2017 have the residence nil-rate band and the residence nil-rate band can also be inherited so that
0: um, So even though the the spouse died, could be 20, 30 years ago.
1: Yeah, yeah prior to the introduction of it, as long as that um, spouse's deceased spouse's estate doesn't exceed £2 million then yes, there is you can still make use of their nil weight bands, both the residents and the nil band.
0: Good. So that's uh, they've extended it. They haven't cut cut off circumstances where there's one partner still alive, but the, the the other partner died. No, years it, ago.
1: it is something you have to claim on death, but your executors can do that.
0: Okay. So the next one is on um, a holiday flat um, in Essex. In this case, which is a nice place to go on your holiday. Um, This gentleman would like to give to his grandchildren uh, the flat he's had as the family holiday home. You you all can imagine the scenario where the family's enjoyed holidays on the coast. And he would like to still be able to use the flat now and again. It's slightly complicated because he's 80, but his grandchildren are only 14. So um, can he do anything? There's lots of issues in that one. Um, (laughs) Right. so first of all the 14
2: year old can't own the property. So um
0: probably a good thing I would have thought. Yeah.
2: <laughs> However, um it's still possible because um they could be the beneficiary of a trust which could hold the property on their behalf. So the grandparent could theoretically give the money to a trust with the grandchildren as potential beneficiaries and when they're old enough to yeah, own that property and they feel Would comfortable.
0: 18, or could that be later?
2: 18, you know? or you know, it might be that they're, they're still uncomfortable at the age of 18 that they're, they're going to be able to look after a property. So it's whenever the trustees decide they're ready to look after it, but a minimum age of 18, yes. Um, now, there's a couple of other issues. Um, capital gains tax is worth thinking about because a holiday home is not exempt from capital gains tax. Um, and as they either pass money outright or pass money into the trust, there's a disposal of the capital gains tax there. Now that, that's, you know, that, that may still be worth paying because um, although capital gains tax would die with them if they held the property until death, um, the capital gains tax payable will be worst case 28% of the growth on the value of that property whereas it could save them inheritance tax at 40% of the whole value, so it may still make sense.
0: Yeah? So this is important, I think, uh, y- if you are going to um, sell a property, you don't want to sell it realistically just before you die, do you?
2: Well, that's the problem, because second. Uh, Yeah, we'd need to, we'd wanna be, they'd want to be confident that they're going to live for at least seven years if they're going to gift that property, because if they're not careful, they'll pay capital gains tax as they make the gift, and still be liable to inheritance tax because they've died within seven years.
0: Okay, so you, I say you've say you got to be reasonably healthy or expectation that you've got seven years. Which again
2: is why it. we keep saying the earlier plan, the more, better. More
0: okay, so, but the other point you raised was about he still wanted to go and use the property. So can you have your cake and eat it and give it away and then still go and and, and use the property?
1: Well, you do have to be a little bit careful, and this is where the the rules called the gift with reservation rules come into play. So, yes, the the revenue are quite um, canny. They say you can't just give something away. You can't just give a house away and continue to live in it because that would be a a reservation of benefit to you. So if you do make a gift for it to be effective for inheritance tax, you have to give it outright and you have to um, not be able to have any future benefit from it. Now there, are, there, are, there is a little bit of an exception for um, the rules say it's uh, in virtually excluded. So you can with property, for example, um, stay in that property for a, a, about two weeks um, a year, so he could go and, and have a, if it's a holiday flat, he could go and, and spend two weeks a year with his, either by himself or with his children, or grandchildren. Um, but other than that, you have to be very, very careful. And it
0: but if he wanted to stay for longer than two weeks, say he's, got, he's obviously retired, he's got more time on his hands, could he pay rent and, and continue? He could pay a commercial
2: that. rent, yeah. So they'd look at you know, what a property of that nature would cost to rent. And if he paid that commercial rent to the new owners, his, his, uh, the grandchildren, then um, yes, he could potentially... It, obviously, the rent could be taxable in the hands of the, you know, the the, 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 res- the new owner, the new actually. owners. But that might be worth paying if he wants to continue to use it. It's likely to be less than the the inheritance tax. So. Well, he's also,
0: I suppose, if he no longer owns it, he, he's no longer paying the council tax and the electricity bill and the building's mm. insurance, isn't he? Yeah. So, if he pays rent, mm-hmm. the new owners of the property can use that rental income to cover those fixed costs. Absolutely. Can't yeah. they? So, in a sense. Um, he still gets the benefit of being able Mm. to use that property possibly for several months of the year if necessary, as long as he's paying rent, and they get some income to cover the costs of owning that property.
2: So so I think in summary, can it be done? Yes. You'd have to use a trust because of the age of the the grandchildren. Should they do it, they've got to think about how long they're going to live because they could end up paying capital gains tax as well as inheritance tax if they're not careful. If they are going to use it, then they probably need to consider paying rent to use it. Okay, so that's like quite a good
0: exceptions. question. There is, yeah. there is actually quite a lot of scope to do things in those circumstances. Okay, and I suppose the final one, really, is the fact that um, with all taxes and different circumstances, rules change, you know, uh, it, it has been complicated in the past. We've also, as with most areas of finance, there's been some bad advice going back 20, 30 years and people have seen at the extreme, you know, things on the front page of Sunday newspapers where people are trying to do silly things, often um, famous people with more money than sense, but it seems. But um, how do we feel about the fact that, you know, there could be a change of government, there could be a change of legislation? It must be complicated to give advice in this ever-changing world.
2: I think there's two questions there. There's the, the question about, you know, the the... the how legitimate is the planning as opposed and then the second part is the the changes I think the first the first part I mean our whole process is very much mainstream I think where you see people appearing on the front pages of, of newspapers is where, where they start to get involved in some um, of the more elaborate um, uh, schemes which don't play With the spirit of the law, I suppose. In terms of the the, the other part of the question, yeah, are, you know, are things going to, ch- you know, what if things change? I would say things are going to change. It's inevitable things will change, you know, but both from a legislative position, their family circumstances, the size of their estate. So, whatever planning we put in place has to be flexible enough to adapt to that change. Um, and the other thing I would say there is that the, again, the earlier plan, the better because um, changes when they occur are rarely retrospective. They rarely make changes which affect actions that you've already taken. Yeah? Um, and therefore, you know, if, for example, part of the, there was a, a, a white paper produced for the, um, uh, the uh, uh, Labour Party and, and one of their... Um, suggestions in the white paper was having some form of tax on gifts during like a lifetime limit on gifts you're allowed to give away x amounts over you know either during your life or on death and beyond that the recipient then pays income tax on it um that's unlikely to include gifts that have already happened all um, oh right
0: so in fact if anything if you think it's an uncertain world and the world might change <laughs> actually act now while you've got an well, understanding of the absolutely. current rules and, 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 and take advantage of the current rules if and when you have the opportunity yeah absolutely. okay well thank you uh, Ian and Jocelyn that's been very informative um, I'd like to think that uh, uh, the people listening to this will have some thoughts to, uh, to take away and hopefully you will take some actions uh, that will improve their situation thank you for taking the time to listen to our estate planning podcast today um, I hope you found it of benefit but if you have any feedback or questions please send us an email to podcast at tilney.co.uk. And finally, if you have any suggestions for future podcasts or would like to leave a review, please do so on the uh, podcast uh, platform that you use. Thank you and goodbye.